0: in a series moving verse by verse through the gospel of John in its entirety. And we're about halfway through that journey. So if you have a Bible or a Bible app or whatever you like to use, go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to John 12 verse 1. And we'll pick up there in a moment. Uh, By way of reminder, we are closing out, in these next couple weeks, the first half of John's Gospel, which is called, uh, sort of by scholars and others would call it the Book of Signs, is the first half of John's Gospel, in which uh, it highlights, John has highlighted multiple years of Jesus' public ministry, and uh, within that, he's chosen or handpicked seven signs which he talks about and highlights for us. It includes physical healings, opening the eyes of the blind, feeding of the 5,000 with a few loaves of bread and ultimately the final sign is raising Lazarus from the dead. But within this narrative, with the final and seventh sign, the Jewish leadership and the high priest have had enough. They reject Jesus fully and finally at that point and they've now made up in their minds, we're going to arrest him and we're going to kill him. It's just a matter of time. And so this section, as we're closing, out the book of signs, these passages that we've been reading and we'll continue to read over these next few weeks sort of serve as a hinge within the book. We have these seven signs over the course of years of public ministry. And then comes the verdict, hey, we reject this man in a very final and serious way and so it serves as the the hinge between the first half of the book where he's performing signs for the jewish nation and the second half of the book in which the verdict is played out the second half of the of the book is just the final week Of Jesus life and we're transitioning into that final week uh, this morning as we read this story and so as we step into the story that we're about to read you've got this swirling mess of different conflicting things happening in the background You have Jesus who's full of grace and peace and power and authority and love. And then you've got the disciples around him. You've got the crowds uh, around Jerusalem that are already beginning to gather for this major festival. And the crowds actually more and more are becoming alerted to who Jesus is and wanting to follow him and place their faith in him. So you've got momentum on that side and then you have the Jewish leadership who are beginning to dig into their position more and more and saying, no, this man uh, needs to to be done away with. He needs to die. And so as we step into the story, in the backdrop, there's all of this tension and different things swirling around, which in our minds, many of them seem to conflict, like, oh, what the crowds want and what the leaders want and what the disciples want and what Jesus, it all seems different. And yet, when we step back with, with the, the privilege of looking at it historically, we actually see that everyone's desires and what everyone has chosen to do is playing perfectly into the plan of God and what Jesus knows is going to happen and must happen if he's to save us. Uh, so you've got all of that in the background. Uh, we're now uh, stepping into or, or getting into the hinge and, and getting ready to step into the second half of John's Gospel. Uh, this is getting into the final days of Jesus' life and ministry. Uh, we're going to see in the weeks ahead his last few days before crucifixion, or sorry, in the, in the second half of John's Gospel. It's all going to be focused on his last days before crucifixion, his final instructions to his disciples all of that's coming but before we get there uh, we see this this is chapter 12 uh, verse 1 says this six days before the Passover which is when Jesus will be crucified the final week of Jesus life Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived whom Jesus had raised from the dead here a dinner was given in Jesus honor Martha served, while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold? Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well, for on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. Let's pray lord we thank you for revealing yourself to us we thank you for becoming flesh and blood uh, not only becoming human but ultimately uh, by the end of this week uh, the scriptures say that you became sin that the one who was sinless and knew no sin actually became sin embodied in your physical body uh, you took on all of our sin, uh, the shame that should have been ours, the fallout, the consequence, everything. Uh, you t- you took it on, and so Lord, as we uh, contemplate you and just the mystery of the gospel and your love. And even as, we'll see, as we see in this passage, your disciples' response to you, uh, Lord, may we find ourselves in this story. May we uh, live rightly in this life because our eyes are wide open, alerted to who you are and what you are like. Come, Holy Spirit, would you work in our hearts, would you change things, Lord, We are not here out of uh, religious duty or obligation or empty routine or ritual. We are here to meet with the living God and experience you and experience the mystery of the gospel. So would you meet us in this place, a work, a change in our heart, breathe fresh life into us that we might be fully alive. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, the backstory leading up to uh, this story we read this morning is that if you'll remember over the last few weeks, we studied. Uh, This passage in where Jesus goes to the tomb of Lazarus, uh, announces that he is the resurrection and the life, and raises Lazarus, calls him out of the grave, and brings him back to life. Uh, As a result, many, many people are coming to believe in him. And as we studied, I think last week and the week before, the religious leadership says, no, we've had enough. Uh, We don't believe in this man. He must die. Jesus knows that to enter Jerusalem is essentially uh, to place himself in the hands of the religious leaders who will execute him. If you come into this place, you're under our authority. We have the power. We will put you to death. But he knows it's not time yet. So he actually, Bethany's right next to Jerusalem. So he leaves this area of Bethany and Jerusalem. And he goes to a place where he's more hidden and off the beaten path. He stays there for a while. He's sort of laying low. And then as the Passover approaches, he moves back into the center. He's, the, he's uh, in this story. He's back in Bethany where Mary and Martha and Lazarus live. And it's not Jerusalem, but it's very close. And it's actually a very wealthy area. So picture like a very wealthy neighborhood almost, a place uh, of power and affluence and influence, and they're there in this uh, town or in this section uh, with Mary and, and, and Martha and Lazarus, and they're having a really nice meal. So picture them in a, in a beautiful home Uh, The sun is setting, they're starting to light candles, there's these uh, dishes that are being brought out. Uh, Martha is sort of uh, overseeing the meal and hosting everyone. And we actually don't know if we're in uh, Martha's house or if we're in someone else's house, but Martha is hosting and organizing and bringing out the dishes. And we also don't know from history if it's Martha who's a really good cook or if she has a really good cook because this is a wealthy family. But in in either way, if you're gonna go to a dinner party, uh, Martha is the woman to uh, host. Hospitality is her thing. So just imagine a beautiful home, sun is setting, candles are being lit, She's, she's very thoughtful about these beautiful dishes that are being brought out. Jesus is there, full of peace and power the disciples and close friends and Lazarus who's like back from the dead uh, and who the religious leaders are like plotting to kill again which is really sad and like for Lazarus uh, but they're all there and there's this beautiful moment that I think and this is reading into the text it doesn't say this but I think it would have been just filled with with this sense of peace wow we're just like for a moment all of the swirling controversy the giant collision that, that is impending, that's on the horizon, all of that gets set aside. And they're in this place of just beauty and intimacy and peace for a moment. Uh, all of that, their, their troubles are sort of fading away as they enjoy this meal together. But then right in the middle of this meal, the unexpected happens. Probably nobody has noticed, but Mary has slipped away from the dinner party and she comes back with a pint of pure nard. Uh, we're told in the text, for our sake, because most of us don't know what that is, we're told it's an expensive perfume. Uh, but that doesn't really translate well into our context. Uh, in my mind, an expensive perfume is something that you would buy at a department store for like $400. dollars Okay, like $400, wow, that, that's expensive perfume. Uh, and so that's sort of what I translate it to in my mind. Uh, but uh, pure nard in their context is very rare. It's very valuable. It has many applications uh, in, beyond making things smell nice. And so it was this sort of rare, sought-after substance. It would have parts of it would have had to have been imported from India. And because it's pure, it's worth way more than <clears throat> the diluted alternatives. And if this happened today drag this into our context what's happening is that she is pouring out something not worth four hundred dollars or four thousand dollars but if you translated it into today's money it would be something more like forty or fifty thousand dollars worth of pure nard that she is pouring out on Jesus this is most likely the most expensive thing that Mary owns Remember, they're in a, in a rich area of town. Only the rich could possibly dream of affording something like this. But even the rich would have seen this as something very costly. This is the equivalent in Mary's life of, you know, a 401k, you know, retirement account or her savings account or whatever it would have been. This is, this is something very valuable, a sense of security that she has for, The future. Um, And and what she does is essentially takes this, and in this shocking twist, she breaks the seal off the top and pours out the entire thing on Jesus, likely from his head all the way down to his feet as he's reclining at the table. And there's this, uh, you can almost imagine the collective gasp that would have gone up from the guest's and the dinner party—they're sort of jolted out of this place of "Hey, we're all enjoying this peaceful, candlelit dinner, enjoying one another's company." And all of a sudden, that enti- the, the whole atmosphere of the place would have shifted uh, with, the, with the shock of what's happened. Uh, they're in this place of disequilibrium. What they're seeing does not make sense. It would have been difficult for them to comprehend what they were watching. But the shock of this moment actually continues as Mary lets her hair down. And again, for context, we're in a totally different culture, thousands of years removed. In their time, place, and culture, women would have only let their hair down when they were alone in the presence of their husband. So within their cultural frame, this is a very intimate thing to do that you would only do with with the one that you love with your uh, with your husband and so she lets her hair down in the presence of Jesus and these close uh, friends and then she uses her hair to wipe his feet and the perfume that would have been on his feet and instantly Jesus and the disciples and her siblings are sort of transported to a different world mary just poured out her life savings and then let her hair down and now she's washing his feet and as they're in the midst of this shock and they're trying to work out in their minds what this means in that moment they would have been hit by this intoxicating wave of fragrance that would have just washed over them and it says it filled the entire home it was just full of the smell of this pure nard it would have been unlike anything they had ever smelled before because nobody had ever done this before and all of a sudden they're they're in a sense on holy grounds but it's also shocking and provocative grounds It's unsettling. Their heads would have been spinning like, Mary, what? Your life, you just poured out. You can't, your hair, your what? Like, what? What are you doing? What is happening right now? This doesn't make sense. And in the midst of this moment, Judas speaks up, sort of cutting through the beauty of the moment and voicing out loud what everyone else in the room is thinking. In Matthew's account of this same moment, we read that all of the disciples together were indignant or angry, but John's actually careful to write down that it's Judas who best embodies their anger. Now in hindsight, if Judas is your spokesperson, You're probably on the wrong side of history. But in any case, Judas speaks up and says what everyone else is thinking. What a waste. Mary, what were you thinking? That doesn't make any sense. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. We will never get that chance again. I mean, here we are drifting from town to town with our sandals and, and a staff living off of charity, living off of little gifts that people give us to, to keep us alive, trusting God for daily bread. We've never seen a gift that large. We will never get that chance again. And you, you poured it out. It's done. Imagine if you can... Someone coming into the gathering and coming to the front with a stack of cash, $50,000, and coming up here and lighting it on fire. And as it's, you know, burning, they share their testimony. Hey, God's revealed to me I've been trusting too much in material wealth. I've emptied out my savings account. This is all that I have. And and I'm burning it so that I can get back to the good stuff. I just want to trust God for daily bread. Or, Or imagine somebody going to Kendall Yards and pushing their Tesla off the cliff. Right? Like, no, God's revealed to me that this nice car, I put too much of my identity has been tied up in this nice car that I own. I'm I'm done. I have to release it and be done with it. I want to get back to only finding my identity in Christ. Okay, if that happened, if that literally happens, there would be like one or two of us who would cheer or clap and like woo, and the rest of us would be sitting here with our mouths hanging open, like what? What are you thinking? Are you serious? Like, okay, I, I kind of get the heart behind that, kind of. Like, there's, some, there's something beautiful in that, but seriously, like, I, I could have taken that car for you. Like, I, I wouldn't mind driving a Tesla or like $50,000. It's like half of our annual operating budget at, for the church. Like, did you, like, couldn't you just have, ah, did you really have to do it that way? that's this moment say oh, like think of all the things you could have done with that we could have planted churches in the philippines with that money think of all think of all the, the poor people that we could have fed with that amount of money think, think of what oh your mind starts racing with what could have been but it's too late what's done is done And not only do we see Mary pouring out all that she has in intimate, radical, abundant, selfless devotion, but to make matters worse, Jesus sides with Mary. What? You agree with this? The disciples are like me. I do this all the time especially when I get an unusually high medical bill, or the car breaks down, uh, or the basement floods, or whatever it is, all of a sudden you have this unexpected expenditure, and I do exactly what the disciples were doing in this moment. My mind starts racing with all the things that could have been. $2,000? Are you serious? Like, Do you know all of the things that we could have done without money? If only I hadn't gotten sick, if only I hadn't rear-ended that guy, if only our basement hadn't flooded, whatever it is. Think of all the other things we could have done with that money that now feels wasted. Uh, Back when I was in high school, my brother brother and I, we used to love uh, McChickens from McDonald's or like one of our favorite, I was in high school, okay, but it was like, the best thing was like, go to McDonald's and get a McChicken. It was our favorite sandwich. And at the time, it was a dollar, which now makes me feel old, because it's like 4.50 now or something. But it was just a dollar for a McChicken. And so what we would do in high school is we would translate in our minds, like, oh, dude, like, you just lost a $20 bet? Like, you could have bought 20 McChickens with that money. Like do you know how much joy you would have got out of 20 McChickens? Like oh. And and that's you know a silly example, but it's this example of how we translate these things in our mind. Oh what could we have done with all of that money if you hadn't done it this way? What a waste. Mary. You you could have fueled Jesus ministry for years. We could have fed all the poor people in Jerusalem for weeks on end. We could have given out microloans to lift people out of poverty in Samaria. We could have fixed all those homes in Caesarea that got wrecked by that storm. Whatever it is, what could we have done with that amount of money? The possibilities were endless, but it's over now. You cannot take that back. You didn't give it to the poor. You didn't fund a ministry. You just wasted the greatest single source of wealth that you may ever see in your life. But that's not how Jesus sees it. Leave her alone, he says. Stop bothering her stop ruining this moment. This was beautiful. This was fitting. This was right. And and as Jesus was was mentally preparing to re-enter Jerusalem and be crucified as he was moving mentally, emotionally into this space where he knows these are my last few days and this is what's going to happen. He's preparing himself for this moment Mary sensed something. What exactly did she sense? How much did she know? The text doesn't say. We actually aren't sure. But by this point in the story, Mary knows who Jesus is, and she can sense in some way what is coming as Jesus prepares to re-enter Jerusalem. She knows what's on the horizon, and she comes in reckless abandon. She is overcome in this moment, not by pragmatism, but by love. As she moves toward him, as she has this sense of of wonder and awe and worship, as she gives all that she has in this moment. Notice that there's no balancing equations. There's no careful calculations. There's no holding back. There's not a hint of the prosperity gospel. Hey, if I give Jesus 50,000, he'll give me 100. Mary is operating on a different plane entirely. At a higher level of faith. She is operating in a place of freedom that many of us dream about, but very few of us actually live in. She's caught hold of the heart of God. It's as if through the fog of life, suddenly the clouds part, and she has a moment where she sees God for who he is. She sees the grace and generosity and radical abundance on the face of God himself, and then she just responds out of that. No, this is who God is. This is what God is like. This is, I... I have to do this. To respond with something less in this moment would be ungenuine. She sees something lavish and beautiful on the face of God, and she responds in a way that can only be described as lavish and beautiful. It's scandalous what she's doing. There is a reason that three out of the four gospel writers record this story in the final week of Jesus. Like they, they can't not record this story. It's etched in their minds. It is a shocking moment. They have never seen anyone do what Mary has just done. It, it would have been etched in their memories. They would have talked about it at dinner parties for years to come. Dude, do you remember when Bill took his Tesla over to Kendall Yards and pushed it off the cliff? Like, do you remember that? Were you there when he did it? I just, oh, I'll never forget watching that car just tumble head over heels all the way down and just slam into the river. Like, what what was Bill thinking? Like, what was he doing? That was crazy. But you know what? HE'S BEEN ON FIRE FOR GOD EVER SINCE. LET'S TALK ABOUT WHAT HE'S DONE IN THE YEARS SINCE. THAT WAS JUST AN AMAZING MOMENT. THIS WAS A a TESLA CLIFF MOMENT, BUT IT'S ALSO MORE THAN THAT. THERE'S MORE GOING ON HERE. THIS IS PERSONAL. MARY SEES in some sense the cross which is to come and in this moment her heart is broken oh jesus i i love you i love you the way a bride loves her husband and and i know what's coming and i know what you're going to face and and i understand that i cannot go there with you that you have to go alone to the cross. I can't follow you there, but this can. This can go with you. And it did. Days later, as Jesus sat down to his final meal, the Nard would have been there, making the air around him sweet and rich and intoxicating. And as Judas stood up and left to go and betray him, the Nard was there as a subtle reminder that some were still devoted. And as he sweat blood in the garden of Gethsemane, the nard was there. As he was arrested and beaten and mocked and spat upon, the nard was there. As he was flogged and led out and nailed to the cross, the nard was there. And as he hung on the cross, pulling up on nail pierced hands in order to pull in a breath of air, beneath the smell of blood and sweat and tears and bitter gall was a hint of that nard there with him in his darkest hour. Leave her alone, Jesus said. She has done this to prepare me for my burial. And wherever the gospel is preached in all the world, people will speak of what this woman has done. They will remember Her devotion, Her reckless love, Her extravagance, Her sacrifice. They will be challenged by Her joyful generosity and Her radical sense of trust. They will be unsettled by Her audacity and stirred by the affection that gripped her. Millions, if not billions of people over the centuries which are yet to come will question the dry calculations by which they live, unleashing fresh waves of kingdom generosity and radical faith. And at the end of the age, when we stand before Jesus in resurrected bodies and we see him face to face, one of the things we will know in that place is that Mary was right. She was right. (laughs) When we stand in that place, we'll say, if I could have seen it, if I had grasped the radical grace of God and the kingdom that was to come, if I had seen what Mary had seen, if I had done what Mary had did, when we stand in that place, we will say, Mary made the better choice. And that will live on into eternity. Let's pray. Before we head to worship this morning, I want us to just take a deep breath. invite the Holy Spirit into this place. Lord, before we rush on to the next thing and the next and the next, we just want to take a moment to sit with you in this place. To sit at your feet to sit in this moment that Mary has created, and to just invite you to come and to speak. Earlier this week, I was doing some premarital counseling <clears throat> We were talking about money, and one of the exercises that they do is they have to answer the question: What does money mean to you? Like, what is the purpose of money? What role does it play in your life? What does it mean to you? Uh, and I wonder if the Lord wouldn't ask that of us this morning. Um, let's just take a moment. Just say, what What is what is money? mean to you where do you conceive of it coming from who supplied it for you what is it what is it for so we were praying before the gathering I just had this moment of realization that oh my gosh in the in in first century Israel their security was their family their security was their community that's what, that's what calmed their anxiety. That's what let them know, I'm going to be okay. I'll always be taken care of because of these tight-knit communities and families in which I'm embedded. So when Jesus says, hey, you have to be willing to be forsaken by your family for the sake of the gospel, he's challenging, hey, I'm gonna challenge you to step out in faith with what you get your security from. Then you fast forward 2,000 years and thousands of miles and, and we've had a complete breakdown of family and community. You, you're on your own in our culture. Like your survival is up to you. So you have to get out there and make as much money as you can and save as much money as you can. It's the ancient equivalent of, of that security blanket, of that community that was there. And so when Jesus comes and challenges us, uh, what he says about community in the first century, I think he would actually say about money in, in our culture. Just, hey, is, is that where you find your security? What if I asked you to do something else? What, what if the Spirit invited you someday in some place to have a, have a pouring out moment? To have a pure nard moment where you say, Lord, this is not going to make sense to my parents, <laughs> to my friends in the eyes of the world, in the eyes of the culture, to the other disciples at the table. This isn't going to make sense. And yet, I, I think the, s- the story you read this morning is no, Mary was right, and time has proven her right. She was living in a place of radical freedom that too few of us ever taste. So what I invite you to do before we head into worship is maybe just take a moment and confess any sense of fear that you have. I'm doing this too. I'm no different than you. Let's have a moment where we can all just confess just in your mind, in your heart, before the Lord, the fears that you have. You walk into that story, if you can see it in your mind, there's Mary pouring out what she has, there's the disciples living in a way that we would see is much safer. And then, and then the Lord says, who do you want to be in the story? You want to kind of sit at the back of the dinner party and scoff and say, "Oh no, I would, I would never do that." Or do you, do you want to be at the front, where Jesus is? Oh man, I just cannot imagine the the eternal reward waiting for Mary thousand times the perfume that she poured out that day. Jesus, we come to you now. Um, You know who we are. You know every hair on our head. You know every fear that grips our heart. You know uh, the way that we look to money today uh, and and the way they look to community in the first century. God, you, you understand all of it and yet you call us to be free and if we're to follow you if we're to if Mary were here this morning she might be able to say hey follow me as I follow Christ follow me as I follow Christ into a place of abundant radical generosity into a place of freedom that most of us have not tasted yet Lord, as we even imagine living that way, there will be fears and excuses and things that well up in our hearts, and all we're doing this morning is just voicing those out before you. Say, Lord, that frightens me. That's a scary place to live because, and then we're just filling in that blank. Here's all the reasons I wouldn't want to live there. And the Lord's here. He's full of grace. He's full of mercy. He just, he loves you like crazy. and he just, he's going to sit with you and receive you and listen. The disciples were indignant that day. He, he didn't forsake a single one of them. So Lord, we come to you now with our reasons with our excuses with how, do we just come exactly how we are we lay it at your feet and we're praying i'm praying for myself lord i want something more the world needs to see something more than pragmatic cool and calculated Need a lot more Marys. Would you come and work things in our hearts now? Speak to us about what we're afraid of and maybe speak to us about whether or not we actually need to be afraid. If we look to you now, Jesus, you. We stand purely on the grace which you've given. There's no condemnation in Christ Jesus, but there is invitation to a higher place, to a higher level of faith, to the place where Mary was living that night. God, that's possible for us. Oh, and then what opens up on the other side of that, if two, if three, if four, if five, if ten of us could live where Mary lived, the doors that would open up across our city and in the nations, the people who would encounter him, the things that would happen, the, the kingdom anointing that would come with it. Oh, God, we're hungry for something more. Let none of us look back on our lives and say, well, that was pretty boring. That was pretty safe. I played it safe right to the ends. Oh, man. And that was a waste. Come now, Holy Spirit. Wake us up. In Jesus' name.